What a great song. Um, that's actually one of my, my favorite songs right now. Just speaking and singing this, this worship of, of Jesus, that there's no one like him. And that's, of course, why we gather together and worship uh, every weekend uh, to praise his great name. Uh, well, uh, before I go any further, just want to uh, shout out a quick welcome to those who are streaming online. Thanks for joining us. And um, quick announcement for, for those of us who are on campus. This is kind of an incentive for those of you who are online to like be here on campus. We have a little fundraiser going on. Uh, we're uh, selling some sack lunches out in the atrium. We figure um, people need lunch, right? People go out to lunch. So hey, it's a beautiful day out. Instead of maybe going out to lunch, if you want to purchase a sack lunch, uh, they have uh, lunch meat. They have PB&J for the kids. Feel free. All the proceeds go to uh, support our team that's going out to St. Lucia this summer. Um, our high school students, we get to partner with the church and share the great name of Jesus. And with, uh, with school, in schools, through gospel presentations, uh, through Spy Kids that we run out there. And it's an incredible trip and has a big impact on the faith of uh, the kids that go. So that's out there. Check it out afterwards if, if you wish. So well, we are in the, uh, we're in between a, a ser- the series here. Uh, that we just started last week, or we just finished last week, the series on our church mission statement, and uh, talking about being real with God, real with each other, and real in the world. And so we're kind of in between that, and we'll be kicking off, I believe, a new series uh, next week, and we're also preparing for uh, Easter coming up, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're, we're excited about that. Um, but Pastor Errol is out in Fort Wayne today celebrating the baptism of his niece, and so he's uh, definitely wanted to be out there for that. Uh, but before we jump in and uh, jump into God's Word, uh, let's pray. God, <clears throat> thank you for an opportunity to worship together. Uh, thanks for that song and uh, just the ministry to my heart that it had, and, um, and I believe many here uh, what an incredible, powerful name. The name of Jesus, the name above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has called us toward his family and towards his new life and his new creation. So we pray that you would do in us today whatever it is that you want to accomplish, that our hearts would be stirred by your word and that seeds would be planted in our hearts that would grow into um, good fruit and good living this week for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, some of you, uh, last week I got to lead worship, uh, this week I get to preach, and some of you kind of looking at me like, hey, why is, why is Pastor Jason so tan? Like, why is he, why is he wearing these Aloha shirts? Uh, what's, what's the deal? What's happening there? Well, uh, about two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Hawaii, which was, uh, which was very nice. I'm not going not gonna to lie. I'm not going to tell you I was suffering or anything. It was nice. Get away from a Midwest winter and spend some time in 77 degree weather and, and soak up some sun. Um, but I was also with family. And I have a lot of family there. Uh, this is a picture of um, part of my family. 
so my, my, uh, my cousin who, uh, whenever we do some gatherings, you know, she'll take a picture and she always does the hashtag, still not all of us, because it's rare, almost impossible for every one of the Domingo clan to all get together um, in the same place. Now, if you didn't notice or just don't know me very well, I'm only, I'm only half Caucasian. Uh, my other half is Filipino. My dad grew up in the Philippines. He was the youngest of 10. And so I have a lot of Filipino family, and most of them live in Hawaii. My, my you know, grandfather went in the early 1900s to work on the sugarcane plantations in Hawaii, had a couple kids there, was able to, you know, then went back to the Philippines and eventually was, was able to, to, uh, to like get everybody uh, legally immigrated over to, uh, it was just, I just want to throw that out there, right? Um, <laughs> Oh, wow, I'm going to move on from that. Uh, over to, to Hawaii, like in the 60s and 70s. And my dad moved out to Hawaii when he was 20. And then, um, so we have a ton of, ton of family over there. And I have cousins who are, you know, way older than me who have, who have kids who are older than me as well. And uh, so I was out there. And, and when you go out there, it's... Um, it's, it's so culturally different. Some of you have, have visited there, and even though like you're in America, you're like, okay, this is a different kind of America than I'm used to. I mean, first off, you have the Aloha shirt, which is kind of a staple of uh, Hawaii. Like it just speaks, um, it just speaks the Aloha, to be honest. They're fantastic. They have almost a different language. It's like English, but they have what they call pidgin. So they have these different phrases and words that they use. Like how's it, basically means like how is it, all right? Like how's it going? Like people come and say, how's it, brah? And that's the next one, like, like bro or brah, that they say that. Uh, the word ono means good. Like if something like a ono meal would mean like a delicious meal or dekine, which is literally like they use that word for anything. Like, hey, uh, what kind of sandwich, what, what sandwich do you want? Oh, you know, I want the kind, like the kind that, you know, there's the bird and, oh, like a chicken or turkey. Yeah, that kind. They literally like use it. Did you go to the store and get the kind today? Yeah, you know that kind. And it's, it kind of can be kind of annoying, but, and just a, just a hint, like if you ever go out there, don't try to use these words. You're just going to sound silly and they'll just kind of look at you funny. Uh, they also, these, like we would call these sandals here in the mainland. They also call this the mainland. So if you go out there and they're like, oh, you're from the mainland, it means you live in the continental United States. Um, but they call these slippers. And I actually grew up, my dad like called these slippers in our household, and that's what I called them. I didn't even know until, seriously, like until I was in college that you'd call them something else. And my wife thought it was weird, but I, I tell my, I call it that still to this day in our household. And, and it's kind of a battle between my wife and I. I'm like, I'm like t- tell my kids to call them slippers just because I want them just to be a little bit different. But this was also, uh, this was also an instrument of, of punishment in my Filipino home too. Like because, you know, if you did, if you were acting up, you, first you would hear the sound, right? And then all of a sudden you knew, oh no, you know. And then, and then the sandal would come off dad's foot, the slipper, sorry, look at me, I'm already Midwesternized. Slipper would come off the foot and then you know I gotta act up, you know, because I'm gonna get it in the behind with that thing, you know. Um, but, and then you have the food, right? So Filipino food, we, we have this stuff called lumpia. There's like, they're like, kind of like egg rolls, but a little bit different. In Hawaii, they serve this stuff called laulau, which is like uh, pork and 
fish wrapped and steamed in these taro leaves. They have uh, poke, which is kind of like sushi. It's raw tuna that's marinated in different flavors. It's so good. And then they have this stuff that is called spam musubi. I love this stuff. It's so good. It's just like a block of spam on a block of rice wrapped in seaweed. And then there's like some sort of soy sauce or something. But it's like so delicious. Some of you are like, what are you, crazy? But there's a sense when you go to another country or, or uh, even going to Hawaii, like I said, you're in the United States, but it's, it's different, that there's this out-of-placeness that you can kind of feel. Like you're stepping into a different world, a different culture. There's a sense like, man, I, I kind of don't fit in here. I kind of don't belong. And I, I think that as human beings, we have this... Um, that might happen a little bit. It happened last service. I'm going to ignore it from now on if it happens. So I thought I was like being attacked or something last. But uh, we have this innate sense of, of, of belonging. It's like a deep human need that we need to feel like we fit in or belong somewhere. And the scriptures talk about, however, this, that this world, the world that we exist in and live in and find ourselves in, that if you're a follower of Jesus, there should be a sense of out of placeness that you shouldn't necessarily fit in to the world here and how the, what the world values. But the world wants us to belong here. And they have all sorts of advice on how to belong. I mean, you, uh, you look at um, how to kind of build a happy home, to build a happy life here. Uh, they would say, uh, get relationships, right? Like you can't do life alone. So make sure you're in, you're in a, you're networked with people because you're going to go, go farther if you have good relationships with people. To get healthy, you can't enjoy life if you're not healthy. So join a gym, you know, jump on that new fad diet. Uh, make sure to, to get in shape so that you can have a more full, more rich life. Um, they would say get educated, right? Knowledge is power, and if you have an education, you're more likely to have a better career and make more money and provide for your family and live in a nicer home and, um, and get a life. Like if you just don't just work yourself to death, life's not all about that stuff, but get a hobby, get out into nature, you know, explore, train for a triathlon or take up restoring old cars, things like that, which again, all these things are good. But if we think that we're going to, as followers of Jesus, kind of just camp out and get comfortable with the lifestyle and build a home here on earth and have that be the end, it's fruitless. In fact, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. As, as Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and you look in, in the book of Ecclesiastes and you can read the whole thing and, and you'd, you'd probably get depressed. Because you'd be like, man, that guy, he just, he like needs a hug first off. And then, you know, secondly, I need to like go figure out my life because you read it and you're just like, man, it's, he's, he's kind of right. He is right, I believe. But I mean, the first chapter, the first couple of verses, he, he just gets right into it. He doesn't sugarcoat it. It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, verse two, meaningless, Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labor of which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. Sun rises and sets and hurries back to where 
it rises. It's, it's this idea of, you know, no matter what, you can accumulate all these things, you can toil under the sun, you can work hard, and at the end of, the, at the end of your life, it's all going to pass on to someone else. It's not even going to matter. And we can get so consumed with building a happy home here on this earth. And if you do all those things well, you know, relationships, your career, being healthy, with a little luck as well, you may have an incredible life here on earth. And like I said, those things aren't bad, they're just insufficient. And I love that C.S. Lewis quote where he essentially says, if I can't find anything in this world that will satisfy my soul, I must come to the conclusion that I was created for another world. There's another world where I belong, another place. And so what if, this is a question we need to wrestle with, what if every pleasure in life, every joy ever experienced were just shadows that pointed to something else? What if we've simply fallen in love with the shadows and not the reality itself? We're going to jump into a passage in Philippians. If you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 17. For some of you who have been around the church for a while, this uh, passage may seem familiar. Uh, But Paul is writing a church in in a Roman colony called Philippi. Philippi was uh, a colony. They were colonized by the Roman Empire. A hundred years before Paul was there, Philippi had been conquered uh, as as Rome was expanding its empire. They had, you know, they had a huge army. They were basically unstoppable. And they came to this region in northern Greece and uh, conquered it. And so you conquer this area, this location, this, this city, and you have these thousands and thousands of soldiers. And instead of, you know, if you're at the, toward the end of your conquest, instead of saying, all right, let's all go back home, they said, no, your, your home now is here in this place, Philippi. Uh, it was a prestigious city. It was in close contact with Rome. It was along a main road that led to Rome. So you can imagine there are lots of people, uh, you know, traveling back and forth. Uh, the Philippians would do their best to match the way things were done in Rome, right? And so you have this, this colony now and all these soldiers who have been influenced by Roman culture, the Roman way of life, and now they're trying to build their Rome away from Rome. Get it? I totally made that up last night, like off the cuff. I thought it was so funny. It was, they did too. They laughed at it. It was but essentially, they would, the, the language, the food, the culture, and most recently, the imperial cult, a religion that essentially worshiped Caesar as God, was being enforced and reinforced. And so you come to Philippians, and, and you, uh, you have Paul who's planted this church, and he cares about this church, because this, especially because this church has cared about him. You see that earlier in the, in the letter, him just thanking and praising and rejoicing while he's in prison for this church who has supplied his needs. And he has a gospel partnership with this church. Let's go back to the text. 
Philippians 3.17. Um, Paul says this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often as I have told you before, and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. I mean, he's like, there's a lot of people who are very content, very passionate. They're against the cross of Christ. They want nothing to do with Christ. And they are for everything here on this earth. Verse 20. Oh, verse, well, he says also, their mind is set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, this is a bold passage that Paul is proclaiming to a church in a colony that is all about spreading the influence and culture of Rome. It's a bold passage to people who value and prize being a Roman citizen. I mean, you think about uh, Paul was actually, Paul was a Roman citizen, right? And, and that, that afforded you certain privileges. One time Paul was... Um, Paul was, was beaten by some Roman soldiers. And at, toward the end of that, you know, he, he had said, hey, I'm actually a Roman citizen. And they were scared. They were fearful because you were afforded, you know, fair trial. You were, you were afforded, you know, not to be, to be beaten because you, you have that citizenship that was your protection. And I don't think Paul was saying when he's telling them, hey, our citizenship in heaven, Paul wasn't necessarily saying, so just hang out here until life is over and you'll get to enjoy a heaven, a land far away from there. Just remember, you're not from around here. You're not going to be sticking around for long. One day, we'll kind of just fly away to glory and then we'll worry about it then. I don't think he was saying that because that's not how colonies worked. The last thing that, you know, the, the king or Caesar would have wanted, right, was for people who were colonists to all come back to Rome. It was already overcrowded. There already weren't enough jobs. There wasn't enough space. The task of a Roman citizen and colonist was to bring Roman culture and rule to that area, for them, northern Greece, and expand Roman influence there under the authority of Caesar. Let me say that again. The task of a Roman citizen and colonist was to bring Roman culture and rule to northern Greece and expand Roman influence there under the authority of Caesar. See what Paul is telling them there? I mean, you can almost kind of fit in word for word what he's calling them to. The task of the church, the task of a follower of Jesus 
to spread the influence, the rule, the reign of Christ where he has planted them. I don't think it necessarily means creating a Christian culture or bubble and kind of saying, I don't think Paul was telling him, hey, you know, within Philippi, you know, section off a place and, and kind of put up some walls and, and let people into this subculture that sort of alienates yourself from the rest of society. No, I believe that he was adamant on encouraging his church to get in and to be among the people and spread and understand and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is King. And this guy who's Caesar, his reign's going to come to an end at some point. And he is not the true Lord. He's not divine. He's not the King. This is a, rad- a radical message for this day, this day and age. And it's a radical message today. In the different cultures and societies and places and villages that we reside in. There are a lot of powers that are threatened when we go around proclaiming the gospel that Jesus is Lord and that he reigns and is on the throne. The church, I believe Paul's saying, is at present a colony of heaven with the responsibility for bringing the life and rule of heaven to bear on the world. To bring the life and rule of heaven to bear on the world. To live in such a way that we are showing that heaven is our true home. And I believe that's one of Paul's main points. If it will come, there it is. That Paul wants us to live with this mindset that heaven is my home. Heaven is where I belong. But I'm not going to wait until I get there in order to truly try to influence and live out my faith. I'm going to live with hope in Christ where God has planted me. And, and for our application, I want to look at what that means to live with, with hope. And I think one of the first things is to highly anticipate Christ's return. That there's a point on the horizon where Jesus is going to come back and restore all things and make things right. And that has to be the drumbeat of our life. That has to be a constant thing that we keep at the forefront of our minds. That one day Christ is going to return and restore and make things right. And and we're to highly anticipate. I mean, Paul says it right there in verse 20. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ to appear. And there's a lot of stuff that is messed up and will continue to be messed up from now until the return of Christ. And we are to live our lives in a way that we are anticipate his coming. The next one would be to operate under his authority. Operate under his authority. To live our lives with his rule in charge and surrender our sense of control or lack of control to him. In the next verse, sorry, my phone's a little delayed here. It says in verse 21 who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, that there is 
There's a power that he has displayed. And we just heard Ali sing about that. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. There's no equal. There's no rival. There's nothing else on earth that could even challenge his authority. He's brought everything under his control. And so often we, we try to live our lives. And we, we get obsessed with control. Controlling our families. Controlling our, our financial situations. Controlling every little thing. And Paul's saying... Understand, Christ, Christ is in control. And that's, that's hopeful. That's hopeful when there's so much in our world and in our immediate lives that feel, feels like we have no control. The next would be uh, to participate in the transformation he's bringing. That there's a sense of the divine that we can experience now. Are we going to experience fully? No. But is there a part, a sense of sanctification that we're going to participate in and experience in becoming more like Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to participate in the transformation because in in 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Not just in the future, but now. The old is gone, the new has come says in, in verse 21, the second part, that Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We don't have to necessarily wait for that day to happen to start getting a taste of and experiencing that divine nature by his grace. And finally, to endure to the end. To endure to the end. That there's a sense of, man, I'm going to stand firm, as Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. And when I think about that term, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, that military term where they tell each other to hold the line. And you think of like trench warfare back in World War II, World War I, and and uh, where you'd be next, you'd have your buddies next to you, and, and you're like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this position. I'm going to hold this line. The enemy's going to come and attack, but we're going to stay strong, and we're not going to let them bust through and break our position. We're going to hold the line. And if you're not in the military, just think of Red Rover. You guys ever play that game? Like, Red Rover, Red Rover, said Johnny right over, you know. Johnny, Billy, hold the line, brother, you know. We can go, I love that. How many of you played that game growing up? Yeah, sweet. All right, after service on the lawn, I'll meet you out there. We're going. We're going to hold the line. We're going to stand firm to the end. And when I was, um, when I was writing this uh, message, I actually gave this message at our high school winter retreat um, about a month ago in February. And as I was writing the message, um, I was I was kind of thinking about, you know, what, it, what does it mean to live with hope? And, and I came across um, something on Facebook, a, a picture that my, my um, uh, cousin had posted of my Auntie Beth, one of my uh, Filipino family. She lives in Hawaii. And um, Auntie Beth, I, she, she just is an absolute joy of a person. I met her first in, in 95. I was 13. And the reason, uh, I remember when I, when I met her, I just remember this, this joy, this very, like, welcoming um, uh, she just had a welcoming spirit, very hospitable spirit. She was a follower of Jesus, 
uh, incredible joy and love. But the reason I was there <clears throat> was because I was a pallbearer at uh, her husband's funeral. So in 1995, um, my dad's, one of his older brothers passed away. Um, I believe it was a battle uh, with cancer. And, um, and even though he had passed, I, I remember that there was, in the midst of the struggle and the suffering, there was joy. There was hope that God was good. She would continue to walk with him. Even though there was grief, there was hope. She's a believer. And, and a few years ago, she uh, herself battled with cancer. And I remember I was in Hawaii a couple of years ago at the time that, that she had been struggling with it. And I saw her at church and there was just no, no change. Didn't matter what her circumstances were. She had that joy in Christ and trust in Him. Um, and it went into remission, but in this past January, the cancer returned. And a lot, of, a lot of you guys, you've experienced that. You've been on, uh, you, you've experienced the pain that this deadly disease can cause. And physically, it became hard to exhibit hope, but it was still there. And when I came across um, this picture and some videos that my cousin had posted, um, her daughter, uh, Nerly, had posted some videos from the, uh, the hospital room where she was, she was laying. And again, laying motionless on the bed. She had hope. It was there as she had two dozen of uh, our family surrounding her bed, singing praise songs, singing worship songs. And here I am up in my office, and I'm, you know, just desperately wishing I could be there right with my family they're singing songs like, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth living just because he lives. Like, man, that's exactly how she would have wanted to end her life. Is this worship service that is happening around her bedside. And it was in that bed she took her last breath and woke up on the other side at home with Christ. She lived as a citizen with hope. The reason I went to Hawaii uh, just two weeks ago was um, to be a part of her funeral. And so I was a pallbearer uh, in her funeral and I was honored uh, to be a part of it. And um, here's just a little bit of my cousin, my cousin Lisa, her daughter, um, through uh, just tears. It was, I mean, you're, you're, you're sharing the eulogy of your mom at her funeral, and, and I was so proud of her. Just it took a lot of courage. But here's a little bit of what she said about my auntie Beth. Our mother, Elizabeth Domingo, was born October 26, 1946, on a little Philippines island in the Philippines called Iloilo. She was born to a family of eight and was the oldest daughter. In September 20, 1963, she married our father, Narciso Domingo Sr., and was married to him for 32 years until he passed in August 95. Since then, she's raised six hard-headed and stubborn children on her own. Mom was brought up in the church and grew up learning moral values that lined up with her faith in God. 
She attended church faithfully and served wherever there was a need, which was usually behind the scenes, cleaning bathrooms, sweeping the floor, mopping, and so on. She never put herself in the spotlight. She taught us the values of serving, being honest, and taking care of each other. To do that, she made sure we went to church and that we served God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. She understood the importance of loving God and loving others. Remember at a time when I came home from college and instead of sleeping on the couch, I snuggled up next to mom. I was a 20-year-old girl feeling like I was 12 again. It didn't matter because mom's bed was more comfortable than the couch. I remember waking up in the dark and all I could see was a figure of mom sitting on the side of her bed, mumbling words. Once I was more awake, then did I realize that mom was praying. I laid in the bed in the dark, listening to mom praying for all her children by name, and thought to myself, mom, thank you for praying for us. I was always amazed at how my mom could have so much strength to do what she did, to care for us, work, and serve in the church. Her life was a testament to the relationship she had with God. Mom constantly pointed us back to Jesus, encouraging us to be a part of his church, to pray and help out as much as we could. She didn't need to say much. Her character spoke loudly through her actions. She was selfless, warm, compassionate, humble woman who always had a heart to serve others in God. Her soft-hearted and kind personality was why she was loved by many. We'll always remember your kind, humble, selfless spirit, Mom. The way you love, corrected, and pointed us back to Jesus is what helped mold us into the kids we are today. We weren't always perfect, but you loved us anyway. You never stopped taking care of us, even as we grew older. There are no words to describe the sacrifices you made for us for all these years. We love you, Mom, and we'll never forget the legacy that you've left behind. Thank you for showing us how to love and pray and serve like Jesus. We love you so much, Mom, and we'll miss you more than words can say. As we got to uh, the graveside and finished out the service there, and as I watched her casket being lowered, um, it was just a stark reminder, reality for me that that's gonna, I'm, I'm going to be laying in that casket one day. What are my kids going to say about me? What are the people who know me best say about my life? Are they going to know me as a citizen of heaven, my life defined by Christ, defined by the gospel? What kind of legacy am I going to leave? And in, because of her testimony in life, I, I'm so proud that I, you know, that I'm, I could call her my aunt because she was just, again, didn't love the spotlight, was just a humble servant, but lived her life oriented around the hope of Christ. So often we can get so fooled into thinking that this life is all there is. But there's more. Is your life oriented around living as a citizen of earth or a citizen of heaven? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, um, thank you for the testimony of this um, this woman, my auntie, thank you for your word, the encouragement from Paul to stand firm, to live as a citizen of heaven. So God, let us be people who live with hope, not starting later, but starting now, each day, to live in light of your truth and to live in a way 
that shows that you are king and that you reign over all. May that be what defines our life. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. Uh, you can get some information on Israel and the sack lunches and the uh, cards for Easter out in the atrium. Uh, have a great Sunday afternoon. Uh, God bless.